0: This is the premier podcast for late model dirt track racing. This is Forward Bite, hosted by superfan and actual know-it-all Kyle Armstrong on the Speed Sport Podcast
1: Network. Welcome back to another edition of the Forward Bite podcast with Kyle Armstrong. This is episode number 27. This week we're going to talk to a very special guest, Dale McDowell, but before that, after some 730 days, we're finally back at Eldora Speedway for another running of the Dirt Lake Model Dream, actually two runnings of the Dirt Lake Model Dream. The 27th annual Dirt Lake Model Dream will be contested on Thursday night with the 26th annual on Saturday night, paying $127,000 and $126,000 to win, respectively. And I can't wait to crest the hill on Highway 118 and see the sea of campers and all the people back at Eldora Speedway. It's long awaited. Jonathan Davenport picked up a cool $35,000 payday on winning back-to-back nights at West Virginia Motor Speedway this weekend in Mineral Wells. Pretty good pocket change going into the Dream Week. And they took a third car that they are not necessarily worried about hurting uh, so they can have their other cars prepared for the Dream. Sitting on jack stands and ready to go. So they are well prepared going into this weekend at the Dream. Obviously, they're one of the favorites to win. A lot of people are picking them to win. And, of course, Kyle Larson's coming in. He's hot right now winning all the NASCAR races and – uh, when he doesn't win, he's in the top five, and uh, of course, winning World of Outlaws Sprint Car races too. So it's going to be a huge to see uh, see him go up against Jonathan Davenport and the rest of these super late model contenders. This past weekend, I we had some racing in the World of Outlaw Morton Building's Lake Model Series. Friday night at the all-new Circle City Raceway in Indianapolis, Indiana, it was Dennis Herb holding off Brandon Shepard and Ryan Gustin. Ryan Gustin and Dennis Herb battled hard for the lead, but Dennis Herb Jr. was able to come out on top, and it was a brand new, or it was the debut at that racetrack, which was a brand new racetrack there in Indianapolis, so it'll be interesting to see uh, see the future of that place. It got them a nice place there for sure. Saturday night, the World of Outlaw Morton Building late model series went to Plymouth, Indiana to Plymouth Speedway for the first time in series history, where Rick Eckert dominated the night, setting fast time and winning his 38th career World of Outlaws feature victory. Another notable topic from this weekend's World of Outlaws events was the absence of Kyle Strickler. Of course, he parted ways with PCC Motorsports team a couple of weeks ago and was able to put a deal together with Scott Blinkbuss to run that world of outlaw race at port royal but it was sad to see that it looks like he's officially dropped off the tour as he was running in the top five in points and now he's shifted back outside of the top 10 so really sad to see what could have been a great rookie of the year run and possibly in contention to win the championship if he could have hung in there Kyle Strickler will be in action this weekend at The Dreams in a Team Zero entry. Other weekend winners included Frank Heckenass Jr. at the Dirt Car Super Race at Fairbury Speedway on Thursday night. Of course, we talked about Jonathan Davenport winning at West Virginia Motor Speedway, picking up $10,000 on Friday. MLRA Mississippi Thunder Speedway victory, $10,000 to win, went to Tony Jackson Jr. Jensen Ford picked up an Ironman South event win at... Wartburg Speedway for $4,000. Matt Henderson picked up an All-Stars Crate win at Crossville Speedway on Friday night. David Smith, congratulations to David Smith picking up a win at Lavonia Speedway Friday night. Uh, David was on the podcast a while back, and David looking forward to seeing him at Eldora this week. He's going to be up there camping uh, with us in our same lot. We'll be neighbors this weekend, so looking forward to getting to hang out with him a little bit. Chris Simpson picked up the MLRA win this weekend at Deer Creek Speedway. The ultimate Southeast race at Sumter Speedway was rained out. They had a long rain delay there, and a lot of the top four contenders in the points decided to go ahead and just load up and leave after, uh, and so eventually the race got postponed. The rescheduled date for that event at Sumter will be Saturday, June 19th. Corey Hedgecock picked up a win in the Ironman South event at I-75 Raceway Saturday night. Christian Thomas picked up a fuel late model win at County Line Raceway, paying $3,000 to win Zach Sice won an All-Stars race at Volunteer Speedways. It was all Scott Shirey in the Blue Ridge Outlaw Lake Model Series at Lancaster Speedway. And Jason Covert picked up the Super Lake Model win at Port Royal. And of course, congratulations to Joseph Joyner, former guest of the show. He won a 3,000-to-win race at Tri-County Speedway this weekend. A lot of other races this weekend. Of course, uh, Super Lake Models were in action at Brush, C- Brush Creek Motorsports Park yesterday, last night for the Jackie Boggs Memorial, And Tyler Erb picked up the win. It paid $10,000 to win. Something to pay attention right now in the industry. Hoosier Tires is going through a shortage. And it's showing its effect on the June 18th and 19th event that was supposed to happen at the dirt track at Charlotte Motor Speedway as it has been postponed due to that tire shortage. And people close to me and close to the industry are telling me that it's going to get worse before it gets better. So pay attention to this. This is really going to affect a lot of races coming up in the near future. And the car counted Eldora this week for the dream. Looks like it's going to be a little lower than it really ought to be. And I think it's a lot to do with, uh, that you can't get tires right now. So, uh, pay attention to that. It will be, uh, it, it's going to affect the industry this weekend. The whole entire world's attention turns to Eldora Speedway for the 27th and 26th running of the dirt late model dream. Well, maybe not the entire world, but the dirt late model world will be tuned in this week, 27 years ago there was the idea of a hundred thousand to win dirt lake model race began as an idea that earl Baltz had and he wanted to pay that kind of purse for a long time and when he and his wife got to discussing it and talking about it she said wow it would be a dream to win that kind of money wouldn't it so earl and bernice named it the dream and it's been known as the dream every year since 1994 when they had the first one in 1994 for the dream on the night before they had what was called the nightmare as a preliminary night billy Moyer won the race that night, but Freddie Smith had problems early as a right rear tire and wheel came off the hub. Freddie Smith's luck, of course, would turn around the next night as Scott Blomquist's luck took a turn for the worst in the late stages of the race and he had a flat right rear tire and Freddie Smith was able to drive around him and win the inaugural Dirt Lake Model Dream that paid $100,000 to win. It was the first of two Dirt Lake Model Dreams for Freddie Smith as he once again won the race in the year 2000. Scott Bloomquist has since gone on to win the event eight times now, $800,000 in first place money in that one event. The driver joining us today is none other than Chickamauga, Georgia's Dale McDowell on the Andy's Towing Hotline. We'll talk to him on just on the other side of this break on the Speed Sport Podcast Network and NASCAR Digital Media. We're proud to be joined today on the Andy's Towing Hotline by Dale McDowell. Dale's ran uh, the Dirt Lake Model Dream for quite a few years, picked up the win there in 2000 and. 14 and has not finished outside of the top five except once since then. So Dale, it's an honor to have you on the show tonight, previewing the dirt late model dream coming up this weekend. And we'll talk about all things, uh, related to, to you here in this half hour or so that we've got here. What's going on today, man.
0: Oh, just, uh, getting ready for that, uh, big event up there. And then the big event after one a couple days later. So <laughs> a lot going on up there in this time of the year and, uh, it's going to be especially big this year with uh, two big events and, and open to the public and so it should look be good crowd looking forward to racing for, uh, awesome race fans all that electricity that place up there uh, it actually provides so you know it's uh it's so excited to be go and be a part of it
1: yeah man there's nothing like it we're looking forward to getting back and uh and you're always in contention up there, and I think that uh, this weekend here will be no different. You've got two shots to uh, to try to come out on top this weekend. I know you were right there. I mean, you were as close as you could get last time they ran the dream in '19.
0: Yeah, we were. Uh, Brandon uh, Brandon led most of it, and uh, you know, and I I had I got pretty good there at the end and the racetrack. The grooves actually they evened out. And, um, so I was able to make a run and, uh, just needed one more lap, you know, (laughs) but, uh, our times were really, really good, but, uh, this wasn't meant to be. So we would come up about a, a, a fender flare short (laughs) and about $105,000 a difference.
1: Yeah. That had the, that had the sting a little bit, especially the $105,000 difference.
0: (laughs) Well, if you think about it very much, it's uh, it does, it bothers you, but uh, I'm sorry to br- know you're that close.
1: I'm sorry to but, bring it uh, up to you again, but yeah, that was well, a spectacular okay. <laughs> finish.
0: <laughs>
1: well, you can, uh, you can go there this weekend. Everybody's got a clean slate. Uh, it's the same for everybody. And I think, uh, I always pick you to win up there every, every year we go. I don't know if that's good luck or bad, but, uh, but I always know that you're going to be in contention when we get to Eldora. Shane's got well, you we, in. Well, yeah, Shane
0: does an awesome job with the car and, um. Uh, he really works hard for every event, and you know, but his his strong point is is one of his strong points is his preparation. Um, you know, he's he's seven and a half years younger than me, so he worked with me um, when he was in high school, and I was traveling. Actually, my stepdad would pay him to to come over after school and uh, work, and then once he got out of school, he. He, he dabbled in racing a little bit, and then um, really he he just he just decided to to go to work with me on the road and and so he's he's been really really good.
1: Yeah, how was uh, Shane driving? I know I've saw his name in a couple of results there, a time or two, and some old racing papers and stuff. But how was he actually? I, I'll ask you. I'll I'll ask him this weekend too when I see him. But
0: he did a really good job. He uh, I even now we can go places and he'll jump in the car to test and he, he can be really, really close to my times. You know, so it, he, he, he does a really good job in watching and watching the techniques and what changes and what the car needs. But but he's so much of um, about small detailed preparation. And, you know, and I think that's what it takes. And, and, uh, and uh, so he, he was great at it you know, working for me coming up those years. And then, and then when he went, ran, the when he got the RCR in 07, he, uh, he ran the program over there. He and Sarah kind of just ran the program, managed it. And then, uh, he did that for 10 years for Austin and Ty Dillon. And, uh, you know, and then when we left over there, we been able to go back out on the road and he owns all the stuff. Now it's not me. I'm no ownership. It's he and Sarah. So, uh, so it's a good deal, and, and uh, it's family, you know. So we've we've stayed together all these years, and this this is my 40th year. So we've been together a long time. So uh, we're hoping to have some good results up there this
1: weekend. Yeah, I'm hoping to see you have some good results. You mentioned a lot of things there that I definitely want to touch on, but uh, one that uh, that's right at the top there, of course, is uh, Shane's preparedness, and and you guys, it seems like that uh, that you really run a smart schedule as far as. Uh, you know, you don't go to races you don't have to go to. You go to ones you know that you're in contention to go there and win. And and when you show up, your uh, your stuff's right and uh, and and it shows.
0: Well, he does a he and Sarah both they do they just set us a budget and um, we end end up running forty to 45, 50 races or races a year. Mm-hmm, yeah. uh, but but really, it's. Um, it's just really all in what we what our performance is and what kind of income that produces and and sponsorship and uh, we lost a couple sponsors during the pandemic so that's kind of cut us back a little bit on some events this year but uh, hopefully we'll we'll have somebody interested in filling those spots we got some awesome partners with easy go and and clots synthetics and uh, committed gaskets and a lot of those guys we got a lot of uh, associate sponsors there that make it all happen so we're fortunate uh we do go try to run the races that make sense uh we don't point race you know other than we did we did just run those races for ray cook on the spring nationals you know so we ended up was fortunate enough to win those points and, but it was a 10 race 10 level race uh, series so and it was pretty close so we just try to do what's smart for us as a race team and um you know and then these big events try to step up as as much as we can me as a driver and and uh and obviously him and owning everything and having everything put in place with the team and and, uh see what we can do
1: yeah i always admire that about the about you and shane the way you guys run like i like i said you know y'all are prepared when you get there and it and it definitely shows and uh yeah that's yeah, that's neat to hear your perspective on that. And as far as the sponsors, I think uh, maybe somebody listening to this show right here tonight will uh, be able to reach out to you and put their decal on the car this weekend. You'll let them do that, won't you?
0: Yes, sir. There's always, there's generally, there's always room. All, all the race teams and you know a lot of the sponsors out there, they think that the higher end teams, uh, and I don't, you know what, I, I think we're an established team. We're going out there and running the uh, highest against the highest level every weekend. But all those guys need help and need support, and, you know, racing's expensive. And uh, so, I mean, a lot of the $5,000 sponsors and, you know, and, and the $10,000 sponsors, and even less than that, if you can help a guy's pay hit passes and buy them some tires or truck fuel or whatever, you know, I, 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 any any of those guys that, that uh, are fortunate enough to have a business that can afford that and 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 uh, you know support it then uh i really I, I really advise it
1: yeah i agree it It would be uh it would be a dream and a goal of mine to be able to uh to to have a business or something where i could uh sponsor some guys because i love this sport i'm passionate about it but uh but all i get to do is go and spectate and i'm lucky when i get to go do that <laughs> we stay busy all the time
0: but uh There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just it takes all. It takes everybody to make the world go around. Absolutely. And uh, And you know, so we appreciate race fans that that are not able to sponsor their local racer or or somebody, and they just go out and support. You know, and and uh, so it's just it just takes everybody to to make it go.
1: Yeah, the way uh the way we support is uh if we like a driver or whatever, we'll buy their t-shirt. And I've got a closet full of them. So I've, I've supported a lot of people in that way over the years, for sure. $20 here, $20 (laughs) there, right?
0: That's right. So,
1: well, man, you were, you were kind of talking about, uh, the, the team dylan deal and all that but even before that i i really wanted to talk about the clint boyer's team a little bit that you that you had and i can remember this was pretty interesting and we're talking about the sponsors anyway right now so you had cheerios as a sponsor and, and dollar general and all that and man i can remember going in uh, a dollar general and i saw a box of cereal have your race car on it and i think you may can correct me if i'm wrong but i think you're the only dirt late model team or car that's ever been on a cereal box
0: well, that deal came through Clint, obviously, or RCR. Yeah, uh, General Mills was a sponsor. Cheerios was his sponsor at the time when he was driving uh, at RCR. So they do a lot of associate deals with those cup drivers, and uh, so Clint, you know, Clint extended through his dirt team, and uh, you know, and tied it in. We were running the Lucas stuff, so we met, we had a lot met a lot of people while we were there and, and uh, we still have an extended friendship with all of them. And, uh, so it's, I've been fortunate, been really fortunate, um, to, to be involved with those people and, and the opportunities that's created.
1: Yeah. I definitely thought that was a pretty neat corporate sponsorship and especially to go in, uh, go in a Dollar General store and trip over a display of your cereal boxes.
0: Well, that was a little different for me when we were going doing all the photo shoots there and they were putting makeup on us and, and twisting us and turning us and make sure our sleeves were the right way so it was a little bit different they were laughing at me especially clint because he come from the dirt world too he yeah. was just used to that and uh, so when we started doing it i was a little i'm older than clint but when we started doing it he's like yeah never done this have you and i was like no <laughs> no but uh it's a lot of fun it's just a different way of looking at things and and being able to represent your your partners you know um I mean, every, like I said, it's just uh, it takes all levels from the top level all the way down to the local businesses. And, you know, and, and uh, the, all their dollars are valued the same, you know, with, with what they put forth. And we just like to show our appreciation and, and um, with with every one of them. So it's a neat part of it.
1: Yeah, that was maybe 10 to 12 years ago. And uh, you probably had not worn makeup since,
0: right? No, no, haven't <laughs> haven't had any makeup since, but uh but they do when they do those photo shoots, they go in and do all kinds of different stuff. And, uh, so it was a little bit different for this old dirt racer, but, uh, yeah. that's what Clint was. And he went over there, so he knew what I was, he knew what I was thinking when we did it.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Us dirt racers don't, uh, we don't wear makeup. That's right. So, Man, I, I so Clay, red clay. That's right. We, we wear plenty of that. <laughs> Well, let's go, uh, let's go back into some of the early days of your career, if you will. Uh, you know, I know you ran a lot of the Hava Tampa races in the early years of that and Jimmy Stiller and all of that. I know you've got a couple of stories that maybe stick out about some of those early days of, uh, maybe struggling to get to the track or maybe what was one of your first big breakthrough wins or, or some stuff like that you could, uh, tell us.
0: Well, we did, we, we started, uh, like I said, I started in 1981 and, um, Actually, I was 14. I run a couple a couple of races when I was 14. I turned 15 in May. Um, so I raced local. And um, we hit, we're we fortunate right here in the Chattanooga area. Um, you know, we've got – we had racetracks over toward Nashville, down toward Atlanta, toward Birmingham, you know, over in the Carolinas, the Murphy area, Knoxville area. Um, you know, so we had racetracks right here within a two – a couple hour radius. So was fortunate when I got out traveling, you know, and, and, uh, but it was, it was, it was a chore because I can remember going out traveling and, and struggling. And then and I'd try to come back home and win enough money to go back out on the road and spend it. And, um, you no, know, so the learning process back then was, was, uh, lengthy, but, uh, but probably when I started running the Southern all-star series, um, I don't know, mid nineties, uh, early nineties, mid nineties, that probably helped introduce me to some traveling and, and some different top racetracks. And then we started running some of the habitat races and that carried us even out farther. Um, you know, as, as far as, uh, being Iowa and, and Wisconsin and, and all, you know, that kind of down through the Midwest and stuff. So when we started doing that, we really started, you know, learning a lot, um, uh, and, and, and struggling some too. And, uh, so it, that, um, uh, I really, I mean, the last seven or eight years we've run really well at Eldora, but I, I can remember going there, you know, when we first started going and, and struggling. I could qualify well and maybe heat race mediocre and, and then um, struggle if I got in the future, struggle. So it's just, it just takes a lot, you know, as a driver and a, and a team, when they get out, now the information is out there and, and more readily available. To, to teams and drivers, but uh, but back then it it wasn't and, and it wasn't uh, shared as much, you know. But uh, it, it was it wasn't an easy road. It wasn't an easy road. But we were really fortunate. Had a lot of good people behind us, um, you know. And, and uh, but there was times. I mean, I won a championship in '99, and then in 2000 we started off and just had bad luck and wasn't running well, and I, I didn't have the funds to compete for the full uh, the full points run in 2000. You know, so, and we, we ended up winning some big races in 2000, but I couldn't go to all the points races. Just wasn't financially able with the sponsorship that I had. And I actually won Bristol, the inaugural Bristol Dirt Race in 2000, the very first one there. And so we won it, and we won the USA Nationals that year up at Cedar Lake as well. But um, it just, it's, it's a struggle. It's more of a struggle than, than people actually realize to, to be able to load up and, and go out on the road and, and compete with those guys.
1: Yeah, you're exactly right. A lot of that is uh, reminiscent of what we're seeing this year, this season right here with Kyle Strickler. Um, but Dale, we're going to take a quick break, and uh, we'll come back on the other side, and we'll uh, we'll talk to you a little bit more.
0: Okay, sounds great.
1: Want to find out how folks go from humble beginnings in the motorsports world? Tim Pakman sits down every week to get you the inside scoop. It's how I got here, and the latest episode is available now on the Speed Sport Podcast Network, NASCAR Digital Media, and your favorite podcast platforms. We're talking to Dale McDowell here today on the Forward Bike Podcast, and Dale, you're talking about some of your uh, some of your early memories of racing and the 1999 and 2000 years. Well, you know, you mentioned Bristol there. I thought that was an interesting topic. You know, you picked up that inaugural Bristol event there, and. Of course, uh, we, as a sport went back there this year, but, uh, but you didn't. And, uh, I remember seeing Sarah posted something about, uh, that y'all, uh, that y'all checked that off the bucket list 20 years ago. And I thought that was interesting.
0: It, it was, I, I wanted to go as a driver, uh, financially, it probably didn't make sense, um, you know, just because when they were going up to the practice, they were, they were all running wide open. Um, you know, the track was extremely fast. And you know, Shane just said it was gonna, felt like it was going to be rough on engines and rough on equipment. Yeah. And uh, so we didn't. And then, you know, in the midst of it, uh, Austin Dillon had called um, him and wanted to put a uh, wanted to run one of our cars, and and uh, we didn't we didn't have a crate program set up and 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 stuff for him to go do that. So Shane put a program together with him to take uh, Corey Hedgecart's car up there. Shane put that program together for him and. And Chase Elliott had contacted me in February about doing some stuff about wanting to run our car, but there again, um, Shane didn't want to take our stuff. So I put a program together for Chase and went up there with him. So we were both there, um, you know, just didn't just didn't participate.
1: Yeah, I but got... that didn't
0: make it any easier as a driver. I wanted to race, but uh, this probably financially didn't make sense.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I, I think uh, I think by the the very last race they had there, well uh, for, for the late models, uh, that Sunday World of Outlaw late model race actually slowed down and it was actually a really good race. I thought it looked like it was it it seemed like it sort of raced like Eldora in a way. So I thought maybe that one was okay. But yeah, early in the going when it was heavy, it was uh, it was it seemed like it was tough on equipment.
0: Well, but I think both of us had uh, Shane and I both had some second thoughts after we watched because. Once the car count got up, the racetrack slowed down some. Uh, you know, so it wasn't where they were lifting. They, they were letting off, you know, getting in the corners and, and letting the engines breathe a little bit. That was our main concern. Right. Um, you know, it's just being rough on rough on the engines and equipment. But, um, but it ended up, I mean, I, I watched the, the Saturday night event, and, uh, they you know, it slowed down. It was a good race, um, you know, so I, I think we could have uh, – we probably felt like we might've messed up by not going.
1: Really? Well, that's interesting to hear, hear that, uh, take on it, but you know, um, you talked about Austin Dillon there and you hooked him up with Corey Hedgecock and that team, of course. And, and they, uh, they actually picked up the win up there at that event. And I thought that was pretty cool. And, uh, and you know, you've pretty much, you and Shane pretty much have, uh, took Austin and Ty Dillon and kind of built them, you know, up from the ground, uh, you know, and showed them how to race dirt and, and it's, uh, I think that's meant a lot to their career and their success, uh, up to now talk a little bit about some of those days of, uh, training those, those kids and getting them up to speed.
0: Well, it was actually kind of a unique start or how it all put together. Um, Tony was doing, Tony Stewart was doing the prelude and he called and, and uh, wanted to know if I was still doing the school and I said, yes. And, uh, Shane and I are doing school and Ray cook. Mm-hmm. So. At that point in time, he was getting, that was probably 05. He was getting, borrowing people's cars for these guys to race. And he was paying for the damages. So a lot of the guys that was going up there to race that had never driven dirt. So he told me, he said, I, I need to send you these guys and, and, lo- and let you work with them a little bit. And he said, I think it'll save me a lot of money. <laughs> so <laughs> it, it, he, the first guy he sent me was Kevin Harvick. And uh, so Harvick came down three times. And, uh, and then he brought actually Clint with him. And Eric Almirola came with him. Um, you know, so we worked with those guys. And then after that, I worked with Denny Hamlin and, and um, you know, some of those. And Bill Elliott used to come down there. We, we did all the schools at North Georgia Speedway, there at Chatsworth. And uh, Bill actually came down all the time and brought his dirt car down. So we worked with Bill and Ray Everham. And um, to make a long story short, Austin and Ty were just getting started out of go-karts. And Kevin went back and had told Richard that he needed to send them to us. And uh, years and years ago, I ran some ARCA stuff and I got engines from Richard. So I knew Richard vaguely. And, and it had been years. But uh, anyway, he sent Austin down and, uh, before he sent Ty. And then he called and wanted me to come over there and meet with him and get a direction of what he needed to do with him. And so we had a couple of meetings. And at the time, I was driving for Larry Shaw and, uh, and Ken Hendricks. And um, our deal was about done. We, we had a five-year deal, and it was about done. And so as it rocked on, Richard just asked if, if we would be interested in taking his grandkids racing. And uh, so the timing worked out, he said, you can still go race, you know, and, and uh, obviously probably can't run any points, uh, you know, but, but take the boys and race, kind of split schedules up. And so we moved over there and, and uh, started in 07, and uh, it was there through 17, 18.
1: That sounds about right. Yeah, that man, that seemed like that was a that was a sweet deal that you and uh, Shane fell into right there with all that. And yeah, you know, you got to race plenty, and of course uh, Austin and Ty. I think probably Austin probably raced more than I can remember Ty racing. But man, both of them guys. I mean, I can remember seeing them whenever they started at uh, at Bull's Gap and and everything. And and you were there teaching them and pointing and telling them where to lift and where to get back in the throttle and all that. And I mean, uh, I think those guys owe you more than uh, more than they can probably ever afford to pay you, really, because you you showed them a lot and taught them a lot. That's for sure.
0: Well, I tell everybody a funny story. Um, Austin was real aggressive when we start we started at Volusia. Well, we started poor Volusia, but we went to Volusia with modified right off the bat. And um, he man, he would hit guys, and he just wasn't ready. So I'd load him up on the four wheeler and make him go apologize to him. And um, so after that went on for a night or so. Then he was still kind of tearing stuff up, as we all do. So when he came in, I, I made him, I handed him a hammer one night and made him help the guys beat Sheep my because we was having to repair all the time. And uh, so, so Tina, his mom, she she really didn't like that. And uh, we laugh about it now, but, but she got on me and, uh, you know, about wanting them to be aggressive and, and wanting to know if we needed more help. Uh, you know, because those boys, those boys, uh, just needed to drive at that time. And, uh, so I was, Clint called me and, uh, he was over at cup, cup track and, uh, so he called and he said, Hey, meet me out tonight. Let's have a beer, or eat. And, uh, so he said, you can't do that. You can't get on those boys like that. And, uh, so I'm like, what? I'm just trying to teach them. And, uh, so anyway, the very next day, the next morning, Richard called me and I thought, Oh No. And, uh, so Richard told me, he said, that uh, he said, what's going on over there. What's happening. And, uh, so I told him and he said that, uh, that they get on you last night. And I said, yeah. And he said, you tell them to hush up and you're doing what I, what I hired you and Shane are doing what I hired y'all to do. And, uh, so, <laughs> so Austin will tell that story now and I made him, I made him go apologize to those guys and he laughs about it, but that was pretty funny.
1: Yeah. It probably means a lot to him now looking back at it for sure. It probably. Probably made him a little more of a man, I guess you could say.
0: It, it did, When I—I had that little kid on the four wheeler, made him go over and apologize to those guys, and he didn't know what to think. But uh, he's—he's he's a. Both those boys are good racers.
1: Yeah, I, I just—I have a note here. I wanted to bring it up, and we'll—we'll we'll run out of time, and not—and I'll regret not asking you. But I wanted to ask you. I've always wanted to know. Uh, uh, back in the day, you and Wendell Wallace, it seemed like y'all were kind of teammates, had the Monday truck and GRT chassis together on the, on the have a Tampa tour. Uh, was that was that really the case? Were y'all really teammates, or was, did y'all just have kind of a similar-looking paint scheme?
0: We were teammates. Uh, Wally. Uh, well, We were good buddies. Um, yeah. 95, 96. That sounds um, about right. Uh, OJ Mundy. He uh, helped us with the engines, and, and, uh, and he owned Wendell's full program. So, um, we were teammates and went out and, and, uh, we drove for, we both drove GRT cars. So, uh, we were teammates. He was in Arkansas and we were located there in Chattanooga, but it was a lot of fun. Uh, Wendell and I are still buddies today. And we, uh, we hung out out there this past winter at a seminar and tell old stories and have fun.
1: That's cool. Where was, what, what seminar is that?
0: We do a seminar at Larry Shaw Race Course. Uh, uh, actually they, um. Scott Mosley and Marlene Mosley uh, have bought that from Larry Shaw a couple of years ago, and um, so they do a seminar out there every January, and um, and I've been out there the past couple of years, and it's a really good program, so uh, we're going to put some together some new stuff for this year, um, and we go through the modified side, the late model stuff. It's very similar, but uh, we'll go, uh, Jeff Taylor helps me with it, and, and uh, so we have fun, and pretty good, have pretty
1: good turnout. Very cool. I didn't know you were a part of something like that. Uh, yeah, but I guess the reason I I asked and I didn't really realize it was, uh, man, I was just a kid at that time. But I've got a picture of me standing beside uh, one of your cars at Cherokee Speedway, and it was that blue number seventeen M Monday Trucking car. And uh, uh if I find it, I'll, I'll send it to you. You'll you'll uh, you'll remember it all. That it was probably the blue gray one hundred or whatever. But yeah, I guess the distance yeah, the go. distance in between. Uh, you and Wendell, I guess, was what was was what had me uh scratching my head. And what I thought was neat about it was a couple of years ago, maybe two thousand seventeen Dream or The World, I believe it was, you and Wendell Wallace started on the front row of the World One Hundred and I was like, Man, this is like a throwback to ninety six right here. <laughs> you remember that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, I do remember
1: that. I don't think Wendell stayed up there very long toward the front, but, uh, but you did. And, uh, man, I thought that was kind of neat to see y'all both be on the front row. And, uh, and Wendell don't hardly race much anymore. I had Peyton Looney on here last week and we talked, his name came up, uh, Wendell Wallace's name came up because he's from his region. So, uh, maybe I need to get Wendell on here one day and talk to him. I bet that'd be a fun conversation too.
0: Oh, Wendell's a funny guy. He's, he says, uh, ever a dull moment around him. Yeah, no doubt.
1: Well, I can um, I can never remember, and you may correct me on this. That's why I'm going to ask you. But I can never remember you making anybody mad uh, throughout the years. You're always one of the cleanest racers, and you always seem like you bring the car back in one piece with not even a tire mark on it. But have there ever been any feuds or any, any rivals or anything like that that you've ever uh, had or created?
0: Oh, we've had some single-night spats before. yeah. But, but most of all, I, I mean, I'm – I'm kind of a calm one, uh, you know, obviously race my own stuff and, and uh, paid a lot of my own bills, so I had to take care of my stuff. And, uh, you know, so I try to I try to race people. I, I've made mistakes and, and done as much bad as anybody at times, but, uh, but not meaningful. And uh, so I think when you get out there, I mean, really, I, I tell these young racers all the time, if, if somebody gets into you, when they let off the gas, they didn't mean to. If they stay in the gas, they really don't care. Uh, so if they stay in the gas and come apologize to you, then just kind of tell them you don't believe them. <laughs> <laughs> so I, it's it's one of those deals that, that happens, and uh, you know. But for the most part, we've uh, kept our nose clean and, and uh, raced everybody clean as, as can be, and and and, and, uh, and everybody's raced me good else too.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, well, you know, you've been in the sport, like you said, for 40 years. And uh, I want to ask you real quick, uh, what are some of the biggest differences from uh, maybe when you started and then in the 90s and then now to today? Uh, I mean, I mean, you've touched on that a little bit already in the conversation, but I just want to know uh, what maybe some of the biggest differences are that maybe we don't see as, uh, as, as race fans,
0: I guess. Well, uh, the, in the past four or five years, race has changed a ton. Uh, we don't scale our cars anymore. Um, you know, the cars are in max attitude so much easier. As soon as you get started now, they're, they're in, you know, right fronts all the way down, usually as far as it can go and left is up as high as it can go. Um, so the cars are in attitude. So you can, with that being said, uh, they have more panor bar angle, just more grip arrows better. So you can drive the car so much more aggressive now. So learning curve, guys in the slick don't have to be as careful and as finesseful as they did 10 years ago. Uh, you know, so that's been a big change in, in us guys, you know, cause you'll see guys drive aggressive and, and they'll be there for, for 70, 80 laps, sometimes a hundred laps, you know, and, and used to, if a guy drove with that aggression level, he wouldn't be there, um, you know, in the slick. So, uh, that's been a big part that's changed. And, and I tell people now we change less on the cars than we ever have, but I change. I have to change driving style and technique more in the seat than I ever have. So things that we do in the seat, um, it, it it'll do. It'll feel wide, and, and um, you know we just do different things, you know, as far as where we're trying to carry speed or gain speed or rotate or whatever. And so um, i have to change changing the seat a lot. So it's, that's been a that's been a rough transition for us old racers.
1: Yeah, yeah, you can tell that these cars are, uh, they're, they're way up in attitude all the time. But that, as far as you mentioning that you don't scale the cars at the shop anymore, that's news to me. I didn't really realize that.
0: No, we don't scale anymore. Everybody, all your manufacturers, which it made it great for the manufacturer-customer uh, relationship because they can give them um, center-to-centers and spring load numbers, and that's put them on it, and then and, and they're good. And then years ago, the scaling process was lengthy, and you had to be precise. So when people missed a little bit here there, it, it changed. It, it just made a, a broader area for mistakes. And now you can dial the chassis in so close, and uh, the arrow, the arrow makes racing better because we're in dirty air and we're having to search for clean air. Um, you know, so I think with the cars, with attitudes that they have now, uh, it's it's um, I mean, it's really easy to get in dirty air and, and lose speed. And the guy behind you have changed his angles and, and gain and gain speed. So uh, I think racing is as good as it's, it's ever been. Um, it's just uh, it's just different. But yeah, our cars haven't been on the scale in five years.
1: Wow. That's news to me. Yeah, I do agree. It's as good as it's ever been. Dale, we're going to take just a quick break and we'll come back. I got a few more questions to ask you on the other side of the break. You're listening to the Forward Bike Podcast on the Speed Sport Podcast Network. We're still talking with Dale McDowell here on the Forward Bike Podcast Dale, you're talking about all the uh, all the wild things that's going on with these chassis and everything. Well, you've driven just about every chassis that they make: uh, Warrior, GRT, Rocket, Shaw, and of course now you're in a uh, Team Zero Scott Blumquist chassis. And I may have left something off the list there, but uh, maybe what are some of the differences on some of those? And uh, and of course, uh, how's it been working with Scott? And uh, I know you've moved your shop up there. I know that's a loaded question, but
0: well, I mean, Scott and I was driving style. We- we raced a lot in the same area. I mean, he cut his teeth. He was just uh, able to get out traveling before a lot of us could and uh, helped him. And he's an awfully good racer. I mean, his, his uh, past results shows it. You know, he's smart. Um, you know, he positioned himself around a lot of the top people in the sport. And he was one of the top people in the sport himself. So we had good success. Um, but all the cars are really close they um i mean all of our setups and their spring loads and stuff are very close um you know basically it's just uh if what kind of relationship you got with your manufacturer and what group of guys he's got racing those cars um you know we share a lot of a lot of notes with scott and um everything up there you know is is open book you know whether we're good or he's good or whatever and um you know so that obviously helps but um but as far as the chassis, the only thing they've had to do in the last several years is is, uh, is get out and search for for the premium tubing and stuff like that, because now that all of our cars were running through bump stops and, and a lot of chassis force, uh, a lot of force where the, where the car's already in attitude, the frame started fatiguing. Um, so now the, the, they're using, you know, a, a better grade uh, tubing and, and uh, the building process is, is a little bit more precise. Um, welding procedures are more precise. So, so the chassis have gone up a little bit, but, uh, but that's the simple reason.
1: Yeah, for sure. I, I guess they're using a lot of chromoly and stuff now in these chassis, aren't they?
0: They use uh, go-coil. They use chromoly. I mean, they, they, do, they do all kind of uh, ground tubing, a lot of stuff that comes from the spot world for the couple uh they mig- it migrated down and, and uh, started uh, implementing it in our dirt chassis
1: yeah well dale you've got a you've got a little bit to do with uh boyd speedway there too and of course you got the driving school and uh you know you're invested in this sport in a lot of ways and uh right now uh we're seeing a lot of parts shortages and of course tires are hard to get from hoosier and everything like that i just wonder uh, maybe what some of your thoughts are on uh, how the, how this can affect the sport short term and, uh, and long term.
0: Well, my personal opinion is that's the reason I think we're short on materials is because of labor shortage. Um, you know, so I'm not a huge political guy, but man, somebody needs to fix something, um, you know, because there's people that won't work and there's jobs available everywhere, you know? So, uh, I think that's a, a big part of it um you know and and uh so I, like i said it's out of our hands to fix but but i th- i think that's where the problem lies yeah. so um you know there there are we've run into the same thing you know we've uh got the same a little bit of the same problem for tires and stuff this weekend but i i don't think there's a shortage of rubber i think it's a shortage of people that uh, get it there and repair it and do all that stuff you know so so uh uh this, but hopefully it'll
1: be fixed soon. Yeah, definitely. I hope it's, uh, I hope it is going to be fixed. You know, I talked about a, uh, a race, uh, at Charlotte that's already been postponed, uh, due to the tire shortage the week after the dream there. And of course, uh, you know, the dream came out with a tire rule where they're limiting the amount of tires you can use and all that this weekend. So, uh, it's definitely already got an effect on us right now. And I hope, uh, that it doesn't last long because, uh, you know, that could be it could be pretty bad to the sport, especially when we're ramping back up and getting busy again. So I don't know. I hope it's, uh, I hope everything goes good with it.
0: I do too. I do too. I think it will. I mean, it's just going to be a process. I mean, it, it didn't get here in, in a couple of days. So the problems didn't, I'm saying. So I'm sure they're not going to be fixed in a couple of days, but uh, hopefully there's light down the tunnel.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Hopefully that tunnel's not as long as uh, as we fear for sure. Yes, hopefully not. Yeah. Well, uh, on that thought, uh, where do you see this sport going in 10 years? You know, a, a lot of people have probably asked you that over the years and, uh, you've probably been correct a few times and I'm sure, but, uh, you know, what do you, where do you really see the the long-term future of this sport uh, of dirt lake model racing?
0: Well, I wish we could get younger people involved I know we, you, you do, you see younger people, the ones you read about, right? um. But at the local racetracks, you know, and they're doing some things. Uh, you know, with the 602 late models and the 602 modifieds, I think the crate racing inside on the, the, maybe not the 604, but the 602 stuff has uh, got it to where it's affordable so where a family can go, go get them a car and go to the racetrack and have fun and it not cost them a lot. Um, you know, but I feel like if we keep the youth and keep these young guys involved, then our you know they're going to bring new race fans to the racetrack. But, um, I mean, you know, everyone just supporting their local racetracks, asphalt, go kart tracks, dirt tracks, whatever. The, the promotional side of it, it's just hard, you know. And, and, uh, so, I mean, it's, uh, I think there's a lot of things that need to be adjusted. Um, it's a lot, it's really easy to sit at home and rent these things on TV, you know. But, yeah. but if you can get out and go, that, Dollars that you spend helps the promoter, and these racetracks aren't closing down. The ones that we do lose, they're not doing that because they're tired of counting money. They're doing it because financially, it, it's it's uh, not going the wrong way. So really, uh, it, it's a tough time now. The product of our sport, as far as competition and things like that, is as good as I've ever seen it. Uh, you know, so the show's great. Um, we just got to figure out how to, how to support those local Saturday night tracks and local shows, um, that, which will create us a place to have the big shows.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. You, uh, you brought up a lot of interesting topics. I agree. You got to get the young people involved. <clears throat> you know, uh, I was, uh, I was turned on to the sport at a very young age. And of course, I'm still involved in it today and all that. So I think that, uh, if you can get it into their blood at a young age, they'll be around spending their dollar for a long time. But uh, maybe as a promoter, do you think that uh, that maybe giving some free kids tickets or something and to like the local schools or maybe taking some, get some local racers to take their show cars there, or not show cars, but just their race car there and talk to the kids and stuff like that, do you think that would be beneficial? I've always thought that that was a neat concept that I see sometimes.
0: Well, one thing that we um, that I see as a competition is, you know, when we were kids, when I was a kid, he played baseball during baseball season. Played softball. Uh, the girls played softball during softball season, and uh, you know, football during football season. And now they work those programs year-round. Um, yeah. You know, so it's it's hard for the high school kids that that play sports. You know to get involved in and in, in racing and um, so if you can keep it at, at an inexpensive uh level then i feel like that it's not, it's not as bad on the families you know to they can split it up hey we can go racing a couple weekends out of the month you know and, and be okay um so I, I do think that though i think whatever introduces those kids but you know when i was a kid you could, my mom would drag me out of the shop and, you know, and now the the, the kids, you just see a lesser number of a population of the young talent, young kids being involved in working on cars. And uh, there's just so many more things for them to do. And so I think the importance of it is to get them in our sports, our sports family driven, um you know and and i i think a lot of people that get reinduced to it that, that see it so um, if we can keep that going and, and keep these young people involved and then, then uh, i think we'll be okay
1: i agree we need that next generation to uh to be there for us and uh in the future that's for sure dale man i could talk to you for uh for hours about all this and uh, try to solve the problems of the world but uh we're running out of time. Of course, we'll see you this weekend at the dream. Good luck up there. I know you're going to have some success for sure. Uh, I'll give you a chance to, uh, to thank your sponsors again, one more time. And then, uh, and then we'll, we'll let you go. And, uh, I know you got some preparation to get, took care of tonight uh, and tomorrow before you uh, make the trip up to Ohio.
0: We do, uh, we get, we got a lot of good people behind us and, uh, it's not only the people that are with us today and all the people that's involved with us for 40 years that's that's got us to this point we appreciate them all uh but uh like right now easy, easy go golf course is our main supporter primary sponsor and uh they, they do an awesome job been a great partner for several years that that uh was uh created when we we're at rcr and uh so it's carried over as long as far as uh, uh comedic gaskets and clots fuels and clots and lubricants uh, they came with us when when we left over there so um you know it, it's been a, it's been a good and we got several several other guys that that's on there uh that that, that help us out and you, know, and you know with shock companies and product sponsors and uh clements racing engines and fox shocks and just just a, a lot of a lot of uh, associate sponsors that that um that i appreciate and and that we couldn't do without them
1: well, Dale, it's been no accident that you've been in the sport for 40 years. Uh, hopefully you'll be in it
0: for 40 more.
1: And, uh, like I say, man, keep, uh, keep doing it, keep grinding. And, uh, we'll see you up there this weekend at Eldora, man. Good luck.
0: Okay. I appreciate your time guys. And, uh, hope all those race fans get out and support their local racer and cheer for their local racer and, and support their local racetrack.
1: Absolutely. that's what we've all got to do. Thanks again, Dale. Thank you. Another episode of the forward bike podcast is in the books for this week. Thank you to Andy's Towing and R1 Facility Services for the support. I'm Kyle Armstrong. We'll see you next week.